for Betty Carroll for speaking on my behalf for the last couple of weeks. And she did not obey what I told her to do. I, the story I had several people come up to me and tell me what a wonderful job she did. I, I told her, I want you to do well, but not too well, because I've got to go back to French. <laughs> and I'm afraid she did too well. Carolyn, thank you so much. And for many people that talked to me after this morning, uh, it was indeed less important. We'll be reading today from Matthew chapter 5. This is a part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached. It says, beginning in verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All of us have probably had experience with uh, lawyers, and sometimes it's good, sometimes the experience with lawyers is not so good. I, I heard a story about a little girl, and she and her mother were walking through a graveyard. The little girl said, Mom, uh, is, is it possible to bury two people in the same place? And she said, well, no, that, that never happened. And she said, well, why does it say on this tombstone, here lies a lawyer and an honorable man? Although, <laughs> <laughs> that's not necessarily true of all lawyers. <laughs> However, the Pharisees were like lawyers, but a special kind. They were lawyers over religious issues, and they believed that it was their job to make sure that everybody was following the particulars of the law. They actually had some 613 laws that they followed. And yesterday, just to make sure that I was familiar with them, I actually read through the 613. Everyone has a scriptural reference to it. But not only that, but they also had some addendums to that. Applications on how you should make sure that you follow each one of those laws. And the Pharisees saw Jesus and the things that he did, and they said, this man is a breaker of the law. He doesn't follow the laws of God. Not only that, they said, he is also a, a liar, and because he brings any parties too much. It seemed that he and his disciples just were having too much fun. So when Jesus addressed the question of the law, we know that the disciples would have been listening very carefully to it because this was so important. Now, Jesus says these things about the law. These things can be done with the law. First of all, the law can be abolished. Now, in the Old Testament, the first five books are called the books of the law. These are the laws that God gave to Moses and in turn to God's people. The reason that God gave the law 
was so that we might know what the will of God is. Now, unfortunately, the laws can't perfectly encompass all of God's will for our lives. It does point in the direction. It is very good. In fact, Solomon said that the law of God was smeared in honey. And so the law of God is a good thing. Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law. But even if there were six million and thirteen laws, still that would not include everything that would be in God's will. And so the law, in that sense, was not perfect. Because it could never perfectly encompass the will of God. Sometimes the, uh, the Pharisees got so focused upon the little thing that they were trying to obey, they missed out on the major point that God was trying to convey to them. When I was, uh, I had one job, and I, I would drive every day, and I would listen to Paul Hart, the rest of the story. Some of you have as well. In one of his stories, he was a great storyteller. In one of the stories, he talks about a man who was driving down the freeway. That was good, but he was driving the wrong way down the freeway. He somehow got trapped in the wrong lanes. And he drove for a long way, almost causing a bunch of accidents. He was finally stopped by the police. And they said to him, what are you doing? He said, well, I, I, I couldn't get off the freeway. And they said, well, why didn't you drive off on one of the exits? He said, because there was a sign on all of them that said, do not enter. <laughs> so, in order to find, to, 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 to keep from failing in the little law, he wrote a much greater law and put everybody at risk. The Pharisees often did that. They focused upon the fine points of the law instead of on what was God's will. They missed the intention of the law altogether. Jesus told us what the two greatest of all the laws were. First of all, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Secondly, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, If you follow those two, you've actually practiced all the law. The laws were given to tell us about the will of God. Those two things help us to keep on track with it. And um, that lets us know that the law is not about the rules. The law is about love. Jesus said, this is how everyone knows that you're my disciple. That is, that you love one another. So if you follow all those rules and you steal to love, as Paul said in verse 13, you've missed out completely. You've messed up on the most important thing of all. But also the law is not about rules, but it's also about the person. Following God's will, the way you can follow God's will more, most perfectly is by following Christ each and every day. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, comes within us as we become believers. And so the Spirit of Christ is able to direct us to actually live Christ in our lives. That's what God wants us to do. Now, in one sense, in Romans 10, 14, Paul indicates that Christ is the end of the law. He said he didn't come to abolish it, and that is true. Uh, the, the law still is a wonderful thing. It guides us, it directs us. But Paul is saying here, the law is 
is not able to save you. And it never has been. If you're trying to be a good person, you can never, you're on the wrong track. You can never get to heaven by being a good person because the only way you can do that would be to be perfect. How many in here are perfect? Boy, not one. There's a, there's a reason that you couldn't lift your hand. Because the Bible says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we don't abandon the law. We don't abolish the law because that would be anarchy. The law is good. And Paul, Jesus said here, I did not come to abolish the law. And there's a second thing that can be done with the law, and that is to fulfill it. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law. For the Jews, the way that they thought that they were being acceptable to God was by obeying all of the rules, all of the law. And evidently, it was possible for them to follow the law and to obey that. They thought by doing that, they were pleasing God. You remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know all the commandments, I shall not kill, shall not commit adultery. And he said, I have been practicing those ever since I was young boy. Paul made the same claim before he became Christian, before he got Christ on the road to Damascus. He said, I was, I was following the law. I was obeying it perfectly. That did not mean that he was not a sinner. That did not mean that he was in God's will. Now when you talk about the law, the law is actually divided into three different categories. Some of those apply to us today, and some do not. First of all, there is the civil law. And the civil law refers to property, to inheritance, to liability. In fact, while I was in prison, we couldn't afford paralegal books for our students. And so we wrote our own textbooks. <clears throat> And we could print those out for about five dollars each. We could afford that, but we couldn't afford the two hundred dollars or plus that they wanted to do in the books. So, with the help of the lawyers and some inmate lawyers, uh, we compiled all of these books. I made the covers. My name is listed as the editor. And there's actually another college in the United States, Sailor University, that's using the first book. But we wrote one on civil law. But you know, Jesus was. Unconcerned about civil law, about inheritance, about property. Uh, a man came to him one day and said, Lord, make my brother give me the inheritance that is mine. And Jesus said, Who made me the judge and arbiter of you? He said, Don't be concerned about the things, the property, the, the riches of this world, because they are of no value. He wasn't concerned. With civil law. The second is religious law. And the religious law referred to the things that the Jews did to worship God. And God gave them a kingdom. And so it told about the temple and how they were to worship there. And every Jew was supposed to go to the temple three times every year for the great feast. Also talks about sacrifices. Sacrificing the goats and the lambs and the pigeons and other things that they sacrificed. And you know, we don't follow any of those things today, but those, those are the religious laws that were given to a people at a particular time. And Jesus said, 
The kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to someone else. That's us. Those that believe in Christ, we have a kingdom today. They don't follow the religious laws. But then there are the moral laws. And of course, the most well-known of these is the Ten Commandments. And we affirm those Ten Commandments. In fact, in the New Testament, nine of the Ten Commandments are actually given again and affirmed. So, yes, that is a part of our life. It's important to know what God desires. And the, the laws of God point in the direction of the will of God. Helps to keep us simple. When they looked at Jesus, they, they, they accused him of being a lawbreaker, of abandoning the law, and sometimes it almost appeared that he was doing so. For one of the laws was to remember the Sabbath. Saturday. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And the Jews of that day had all kinds of little applications for this. One is uh, to tell you, you know, how, how about how you could behave and act on the Sabbath. And uh, you, were, you were not supposed to go into the fields and gather grain because that was considered work. Uh, you were not allowed to uh, heal anybody on the Sabbath. That was considered work. Uh, what you could do is you could prevent a wound from getting any worse, but you couldn't do anything to make you better and wait until the next day. And Jesus made clear what the Sabbath was all about. He said the Sabbath was not given, man was not given for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was given for mankind. We have the Sabbath, God gave it not, not as a burden to bear, but He gave the Sabbath to rest our bodies. And to worship him. And so it shouldn't be an added burden upon you like the Pharisees were making it. It should be a good thing. And then Jesus also explained things differently than they understood it from the Old Testament. He said uh, three times in, in Matthew 5, uh, first of all, he said, he talked about uh, murder. He said, You're not supposed to murder. He says, You shall not murder. But I tell you, that if you're angry with someone, you've already committed murder in your heart. So it's not only what you do, it's what you think. It is what is your motivation. He said also, secondly, uh, you've, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But he said, I tell you that if you look at a woman lustfully, you have already committed adultery in your heart. He said, uh, under the law of Moses, Moses allowed people to get a divorce. That was because of the hardness of their hearts. He said, I tell you, from the very beginning, it was God's purpose that two would be together. And uh, if, you've done, if you have had a divorce, you've committed adultery. And you caused the other person to commit adultery as well. The way Jesus explained the laws was entirely different. And so they felt that Jesus was disobeying the law. But God the Father, on at least two occasions, said, this is my beloved son. Once in the baptism, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then he said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Jesus fulfilled the law by being perfect. Never said the Bible says that he was tempted like us, yet without sin. 
How do we go about fulfilling the law? Jesus could do it by being perfect. You and I are not perfect. We never can be. And so the only way that we can fulfill the law is by believing in Him and trusting in Him to take care of all of our sin. God demands perfection. The only way that we can be perfect is to be declared perfect. Declared justified before Him, not because of our lives, but because of the perfect love of Christ. What a beautiful thing. I can be, I can fulfill the law, every part of the law, through Jesus Christ, not through myself. Jesus did not abolish the law. He fulfilled it. And I was thinking about the, the acorn. But then there are two ways that I can think of that you can destroy an acorn. You can take it and you can smash it with a hammer and destroy it. You can take it and you can plant it in the ground and it can become a beautiful tree. That's what Jesus did with the law. He took the law and he perfected it. It grew, it was nourished. And so he fulfilled every part of the law in and of himself. So we can abolish the law. We can fulfill the law. Thirdly, we can teach and practice the law. He says, not in the King James, not one jot or tittle shall be removed. And it says in uh, this translation, not the least stroke of the pen by any means will disappear until everything is accomplished. So he's sitting there, practice the law. The law is a good thing. The law guides us, it directs us. It helps us to know and to do the will of God. And so we should practice it. And not only that, we should teach others. And he said, those that teach it incorrectly, those that try to change it, will be the least of the kingdom of God. Law is important. We are to practice, we are to teach it. Jesus says in uh, John 14, Love me, obey my commands. You know, Paul talked about that as well. He talked about grace, and I was saved by grace. He said, Well, what if somebody says, You know, because I have grace, I can go and sin the more, and then I can receive more grace? That's a good thing, right? Paul said, Heaven forbid. He said, You have been free from the law, and as an act of love, you continue to practice the law, not because it saves you. By an act of love, by an act of grace. The Old Testament, Amos talked about the plumb line. And I, I remember my dad had a plumb line. It was, it was on a string. It was actually a beautiful piece of grass. That big around at the top, it came to a point at the bottom. Look at that. That high. And my dad was a carpenter. That's not genetic. It didn't come to me at all. But he would take the plumb line if he was. Trying to make sure that the wall was straight. He would paint the plumb line and the gravity would pull it exactly straight up and down. That way he would know whether the wall was straight. Or he would take it to a door face, check the plumb line and make sure it was going straight. Amos talks about the justice, goodness of God. And he said to his people, you're, you're not following. The plumb line, you're disobeying, you're falling away from. Jesus is the plumb line. In love, he teaches us to be strength in our life. 
follow his will. And we don't do it because we're afraid of God. Because after we have salvation, he's Presbyterian, and he's a formal Baptist. We believe once we're saved, we, we can't lose your salvation because it's in God's hand. And God's not going to allow anyone to help out of his hand. But we do it out of love. And sometimes you're like the people in I was reading about a husband and wife. The husband was very demanding, and he'd make up all these lists for his wife to follow. And she had to read through the list every day to make sure that she was following them, how she was to get up and make breakfast, and what she was to do there, and how she was to clean the house and make sure. And he would go back and inspect her, uh, how she was to conduct her life in all ways. They were really not in love. And for her, it was a blessing that the team had died. <laughs> and she married him. It was entirely different. He loved her. He expressed his love to her each and every day. It was a different situation. And she found she was still doing many of the things that she had done before for the past husband, but for a different reason. It was joy. She was doing it as an act of love. Not because she was compelled by some rule. That's the way we are. We practice the law, but we practice it out of love and not out of compulsion. And then finally, we may exceed the law. And, uh, Jesus is talking here. He said uh, in verse 29 For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because of that. These were professional lawyers trying to obey the law of God. They were, they were sincere. Sincerely wrong. And he said, unless your righteousness is greater than theirs, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, how can that be? It's because Christ is within us. You know, if a, a criminal is caught, is taken before the courts, there are a couple of possibilities. One possibility is that uh, he can be a fine. Another is that he can go to prison. But when he gets out or he's made his fine, then he is under no further obligation from the law. So the law can take us to a certain point. We as believers are called upon to exceed the law, to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, and we do that by love. I am grateful for the church for praying for Arthur Rose. He has been an offender in the prison for the last 20 something years. He thought perhaps he would never get out. I church prayed for him. And Arthur said that my coming to be in the parole board was an act of God. I have been in Louisiana for about 30 years. And he said, it just so happened that the one day that I was going to be there was the day that he used to go for the parole board. And had another deputy warden there, and the other deputy warden did a wonderful job. In fact, he said most of the things that I was planning on saying, so I had to change my mind when he came to my country to speak. And the parole board actually said, you know, because of the endorsement of these orders, 
pretty well out. And the, the room was full of family members and friends of Arthur. I've never seen so many people who attended the World War hearing. But after it was over, he had turned around and started weeping like a baby. Because God had been so gracious. But you know, at, at the uh, World War, they asked Arthur to speak on his own behalf. And he made no attempt to justify anything that he had done. He said, I'm so sorry for the people that I took advantage of, people that I betrayed. My family had suffered. I'm so sorry. He said, I can't undo any of those things. He said, since I have become a Christian, that I've been trying to do as much good into the world as I possibly could. And I actually told the Lord here, I've known a lot of pastors in my life, but Arthur is probably the greatest pastor that I've ever met. While he was in prison, he got his bachelor's degree in theology, got his master's degree in theology, and has actually been teaching for the college that we started in prison ever since He doesn't think that he does. He exceeds the law in a, in a way that I can only admire. Taking care of the offenders that nobody else wanted to have anything to do with. He exceeds the law as an act of law in that place. Romans 13 says, Hope no man anything but to love one another. For he that loves has fulfilled the law. And I would say even further, he that is filled with love exceeds the law. We do more than is required because of our love for Christ. And just to close there, let me just kind of summarize what I've said. Uh, first of all, the law is still there. It was given as an act of God. Tells about himself. And so we still practice the law. Not out of compulsion, but out of law. Do so by faith in Christ. The standard by which we use to obey the law is the standard of Christ Himself. The Spirit of Christ lives within us. And he helps us to be more than we possibly be. The two greatest of all the commandments and all the rules and all the laws of God is to love God above everything else. And to love He made with yourself. And Jesus said, if you do that, you have already obeyed the law. Finally, we follow the life in the steps of promise. I was uh, I read the book by Catholic priest called Joshua. Joshua is the Old Testament name of Jesus in salvation. And he thought that he was dying. He thought he probably did not have over one year left to live. But you know this book about Jesus coming there. He was a Catholic priest. I didn't, I didn't agree with everything that he wrote. But I think the concept is great. How do you live the life? By watching the life of Christ and becoming as much like him as you possibly can. How do you pray? Our Father and our God. Stand before you. Lord, we thank you for your law. We thank you that Christ fulfilled it. We pray that you might live each day trying to imitate Let us live our lives following in his invitation. God,
God give us your grace today and selectively. Let us the Holy Spirit not only to make it through the rest of this week, but everything that we do and say be to honor you. God we love you. Praise you. You are right. In Jesus' name.